Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. For some of us here today, it's been a season where we feel like we've gone through all kinds of things. Um, I, I imagine, because I've been through seasons like that, that that has quite the impact on our relationship with God. But I want to just remind you this morning that with God, there is always consistency. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And while our lives may go through the wrangle or the dark night of the soul or a difficult season, we can always access the consistency of God because it's permanent, it's set, it never changes, and it can never be altered, even by all that we experience in life. And I have to, in moments like that, in seasons like that, choose to fix my eyes on the realities of Jesus. I have to choose to hone all of the distractions of my life down to this one thing, and that is that Jesus is who he says he is, and he will do what he promises he will do. I have to train my heart to submit to that reality. I have to stop my mind from telling me a different story. And I have to trust in the Lord with all that I am and all that I have. And as I do that, it's not even always that my circumstances change. Sometimes they stay exactly the same. But my sense of hope is radically transformed. I find myself expectant when really all I've been trying to do is survive. They're the opposite ends of the spectrum. I find myself living in a place of peace, even though all around me there is turmoil. And for us as Christians, that's what God invites us to. The Bible says the name of the Lord, and that's all that he is, not just his name, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And listen to the invitation. And the righteous run into it, and they will be saved. Amen? So he is permanently good, consistently full of life and truth and hope and joy. And as we move further and further into what I believe will be the return of Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to train us to live in those consistencies. I have to allow God to elevate me in the way I think and the way I act and the way I respond in the world around me to that place of security and certainty. And that is the reality of Jesus. I call it the upgraded life. I need to see things differently. I need to respond differently. Jesus didn't lie to us, you know, when he said, in this world you will have troubles and hardships. I think of all the statements he made, that's probably the one we most identify with, would you say? But he said this, he said, take heart. In other words, the battle for how the outcome turns out to be is in here. Take heart. Guard your heart. Make sure that your heart is consistently and persistently connected to me. He says, take heart for 
And this is what will happen if you do this and to renew and to refresh our lives. Would that be okay? You can talk to me, you know. You can talk to me. Okay. Would you rather sit for that or are you going to stand? Or Who'd like to do cartwheels or anything like that? People, people receive from God in all kinds of ways. I don't prescribe that, but here's what I do. I just put my hands on my heart and I say, Father, Father, Abba, Daddy, only you know truly who I am. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> but you and you alone knitted me together in my mother's womb. You count every hair on my head. And every tear I've ever cried, you've bottled it and kept it. How tenderly you love us, O oh God. How incredible is that love. And you remain consistent in your passion and in your desire and your pursuit of relationship with us. I am so inconsistent, so intermittent in the way I do that. But Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow and forever. You will always be good. You will always be God. And you will always be right. Amen. And so, Lord, I ask today that you would refresh and restore my heart as I seek to live for you in difficult times, in complex realities. I ask that heaven would invade by the power of your presence and your spirit every part of my life, that I may be filled to overflowing with all that you are. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, and do for me what I can't do for myself. Create in me a heart that is clean and pure, Father, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And Lord, above all things, let your Holy Spirit find a resting place and a dwelling place in my life that I may be filled to all the measure of your fullness, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. 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 And the trouble with many of us is we pray those prayers and we ask God to do something and then we walk away from it. We step away from that moment. But I want to remind you that when you ask God to touch you like that, He is consistent in His pursuit to do so. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and that door, the door to his presence, will be opened to you. So you'll get busy with your chicken dinner after this, I'm sure. And rightly so. But God is already at work in your heart to fulfill the desire you have for him. To fill you with his presence and his fullness. Watch. Wait. And taste. Because what God does is always better than anything we could do ourselves. Amen. He is just so good, so good, and um, I need my life consistently and persistently placed at the feet of that goodness so that it'll rub off on me, that it'll affect and infect my life. Amen? Amen. Thank you. On your birthday, thank you. With your new shirt, thank you. It is a new shirt, is it? Yeah. <laughs>
I love new shirts. They've got that square box thing on the front, haven't they? Like <laughs> They've been sitting somewhere. Oh, forgive me, I'm naughty. It's a nice shirt, though, Joseph. It's a nice shirt. Was it for your birthday? <laughs> Was it for your birthday? Oh, great. Even better. Even better. Even better. When I became a Christian, seems like a lifetime ago now. It was a lifetime ago now. Something so radically happened to me that um, I can honestly say I was confused <laughs> for the longest period of time. I had the same life, but it was different. <laughs> I had the same problems, but they didn't seem to matter. Is that Jesus looking for me? The circumstances of my life didn't change one bit, but the way I lived, the way I saw things, the way I interacted with it was radically different. And uh, I think people use this phrase in, in places like this, that I saw the light. And um, I wasn't sure, I don't know what that looks like for you, but for me, it seemed like the reality of God was so much more powerful than the realities of my life. It's almost like all of those things that seemed to dominate and preoccupy me became subservient, almost fringe-like in the way they impacted my life. And I had this glorious sense that God was so real and so present all the time. And the weird thing was, he was present in places I didn't think he should be present. I, I was still working in nightclubs and doing all kinds of stuff with my life. You know, I didn't wake up the following morning and everything was perfect. I had this very broken life. And uh, I'd be at these clubs, these, these high energy in the 80s clubs. I know some of you only dreamed of days like that. But, but I'd be there and amongst all of the stuff that perhaps wouldn't be, you know, pleasing to God. And yet he would be present, tangible, real. And... Um, I, I, I didn't want him there. <laughs> I wanted to feel his presence at church <laughs> and when we sang songs of worship, but I just felt like it's really inappropriate. I mean, Jesus, come on, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Jesus, with these people? These people. And um, it was such, I think, uh, a season of, of seeing everything differently and, and thinking differently that it's taken me a number of years to really appreciate just how precious that is. But one of the things that came along with a, a change of perception and, and the clarity that God is consistent and persistent in relationship and intimacy with you was this unquenchable belief that there was so much more to life than I ever imagined I'd ever experience. And my favorite scripture in the New Testament You've probably heard me say this a lot. It's John 10, 10. I call it a 10 out of 10 life. Jesus says, I came so that you should have life and life in all its fullness. Now, I must confess to you, when I first read that, I thought that meant a new car. <laughs> and why not? I mean, if God's given out cars, I'd like one, wouldn't you? I thought it might have meant, you know, a, a successful career. In fact, the opposite happened to me. My career went downhill after I became a Christian. 
And it went downhill because God wanted to call me into ministry. And had it gone on to the next level it was going to at the time, I probably wouldn't have been here. See, your prayers aren't always answered, are they, church? And um, I noticed I was there on the Wogan show, just dropping that name, uh, when he was alive. And I was there and all this stuff was happening around me. And I remember thinking, God, this is over. It's finished. It's done. So I had my notions of what this life and life in all its fullness would look like. Um, I, think, I think what I was doing maybe was adding God to my already perceived dreams. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah. Have you ever worked out what you want and then asked God to bless it? Yeah. How are you doing with that? Terrible. <laughs> yeah, I find that doesn't really work. And, and what I started to know is that God had a plan. I mean, to be honest with you, I never asked him. And I'm not sure I liked it. But his plan was far better than my plan. And what it did to me is it caused me to believe a number of things that have stayed with me for 30-something years. And I'll just highlight them to you again. God is a greater reality than every other reality that we experience. That's permanent, and there's nothing you can do about that. But I recommend you do something with that, and that is live in that reality. Live in the fullness of that reality. If it's available to you, and it's made available to you through Jesus Christ, and you can access it boldly because you're a son or daughter of God, don't live in any other inferior reality than the fullness of God's presence. Live there. Amen? Amen. Second thing, God is everywhere. And that reality is available anywhere. Anywhere. Some of the most broken environments, I have found him to be so breathtakingly beautiful in them. I've been stunned, stunned at what God can do. And yet, if you're religious here, you probably think God only moves in church. Or when you do particular things, in spite of all of that brokenness, the beauty of Jesus would turn up. And it would turn up and touch hearts and lives in such a profound way that no amount of engineering that could ever have caused that to happen. It was simply God going like this on a weary soul or a broken life. Just the breath of Jesus, the ruach, the Bible calls it, of God, that abiding sense of his presence. And I found, too, that God was very indiscriminate. You know, I thought there were certain people that should get it. I thought certain people earned it. God doesn't think like that. It's whoever seeks, whoever needs whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Amen? Anywhere, everywhere, consistent bliss and goodness is available to those who know God. Amen? Third thing, he has a plan. And you would do well to ask him what it is. Some of us in this room are so tired trying to make something happen. Oh, you've bound it, you've loosed it, you've, whatever you've done with it, you've blessed it, you've tied it, you've done whatever you do with it, and it's become like a weight. 
it's become heavy. There might be a clue that it's not the enemy that's causing this adversity. You might, may have just willfully moved into something without even asking God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? How many of us have ever been in a relationship and we knew it wasn't God's will, but we stayed? Tell the truth. Come on, you're in church. Just because you fancied him or you fancied her and you wanted it to be right. <laughs> I mean, even if they had no idea or desire for God, you were willing them to get saved. How did that go? Yeah, it just has a few, just a few parts to it. <laughs> it has a few parts to it. And what about this one? I think so many people in the church think, that man is going to be my husband. And 20 years later, he's been three other people's husbands. But, <laughs> but you're still believing. And it's not because God has spoken. It's because you want and you desire. And we get into our groove. We get into our lane. And we're unshakable from something that probably is shaking the very life out of us. And we don't stop to say, God, what do you, what do you want? I feel sometimes in prayer, I, I'm guilty of twisting God's arm up his back. You know, because my will often seems a little bit more um, exciting, maybe, than God's will. But God has a plan. And that plan is always going to be superior to every other plan that you or your parents or your family or your community or your pastor have for you. It's always the best thing in the world to find out what God's desire and will and purpose for your life is. Amen. The two most important days in your life are the day you got born. We just celebrated that. And the second day that's really important too is the day you realized why you were born. Why are you here? And what is it about you that God wants to do something exceptional through? Let me read you a couple of things. In Psalm 78 verse 4, we're reminded that we're living in this generational dynamic of God's purpose for our lives. That while I have a tendency, as perhaps to you, to become very insular about the here and now, God knows the end even before the beginning. And everything that happens across the span of humanity, he has a plan for each generation and each individual that walks with him. Actually, he has plans for people who don't walk with him. It says in Psalm 78 verse 4, it says, We are not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. So let me just pause you for a moment with that thought. Last week, if you were here, we started a conversation. We've called it Life Together. Maybe we can put that up. Is that possible? And the whole point of re-envisioning uh, our small groups is because we looked at the book of Acts and we realized quite startlingly that when the Spirit of God moved on the day of Pentecost, it had the most phenomenal impact on the church in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you track the figures with me, but at some point in Jerusalem, 
what God had started by the power of His Spirit with just 120 broken individuals turned out to be 250,000 people serving and loving Jesus in a city that wasn't much bigger than those numbers. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, I don't know what you think about that. But actually, it's written here, and it's historically recorded, that the Roman Empire, who were in charge, and the Jewish legions who led all of the, the kind of you know, protocols and, and, and procedures people had to go through to the temple and bring arms and, and leave things for the priests and all that before God, that rocked their world. You see, when the kingdom comes, it tears down the empires because the kingdom is a superior reality to every man-made system of authority. Amen? So when we are praying in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, we are asking God to do something really dangerous. We're saying, God, when your kingdom comes, let every other empire or kingdom fall and become subservient to the present and the purposes and the plans of God. Amen? Amen. Jerusalem was a hotbed politically. Um, the Roman Empire dominated the world, and they did so with fierce abandonment to any sense of consciousness. I think at one point there were 30,000 people crucified in a public setting just to demonstrate that Rome could not be messed or meddled with. And the Jewish Sanhedrin and the people who headed up the Jewish people's religion and, and, and political place within that context were also fiercely keen to keep all of those things where they were and yet submersively by the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, God came and tore down all of those systems. Nobody knew, nobody could see but in a city of maybe 300,000 people, to have 100,000 or 150 or 200,000 people following, loving, serving, adoring, and worshiping Jesus meant that there was no part of that society that wasn't touched, that wasn't affected or impacted by God. And so we arrived at this place last week where we asked two questions. Does God still want that to happen? I mean, maybe it was a one-off, but we can't rest on that because the Bible says that the glory of the latter house will far surpass its former glory. And while the world will tell you, and all the propaganda that exists in the world will tell you, the church is surplus to requirements in society, there are only two things that have eternal dominance, and that is God's Word and His people. It says everything else that can be shaken will be shaken. So don't believe the propaganda of the enemy that the glory days of the church are in the past. I'm telling you, and I say this with some sense of understanding, that the best days, the best days for the church lie ahead. And, um, and we must not allow our hearts to partner with negativity or disappointment because that is a strategy of the enemy to stop you from living in fullness. You do know that, don't you? 
You see, the problem with disappointment is it disappoints you from your appointment, and your appointment is to live in fullness, is to live in, in the abundances of God. So, if God did that in the book of Acts in the baby church, if God could flood the city with people who loved him and served him in all kinds of contexts, is it possible or is it probable that his heart is still set towards that agenda? Remember I said earlier that he has plans? For you as an individual, those plans are not that you get the best house in your street or whatever. Those are temporal realities. And when you leave this world, you can't take any of them with you. I heard one great pastor say, there are no pockets in a shroud. Well, I've sewn a few into mine because there's a few things I'd like to take. The only thing, the only thing that you can take to heaven, the only thing that travels with you to eternity is your love for Jesus Christ and the rewards that you've earned in this life for serving him diligently. You do know there are rewards, don't you? Yeah? Okay. So maybe God will do it again. What do you think? How will he start that process? Who will he choose? Could it be you? Would you like it to be you? I don't know if we do. I think we say lots of things. I don't know if we really mean them. I'll just sit on that for a minute. So God's plan, which encompasses the plans he has for us, is to fill the earth with his glory. Everyone, everywhere, in every context, living in fullness. That's not a bad plan, is it? Can you imagine how different Birmingham would be, Mimi, if that was true, if that was real? So, I'm going to come down. Is this okay? Okay. So, God hasn't changed. His plan hasn't changed. His timing is always perfect. And we find ourselves in a place where we have to decide either to partner with what we can see naturally or what we know to be the truth eternally. We have to decide. The Bible uses this phrase, whose report will you believe? And what it's saying is there are lots of reports. I mean, if you turn on the news, everyone's got an opinion on everything, haven't they? Will you believe that report? If you believe that report, let me tell you the fruit of that report. Depression, anxiety, fear. That's, that's what that produces, okay? And how many of us have been subject to that report? How many of us feel that we can't really live for Jesus because the world is in such a terrible place? See, there are lots of things that the devil knows get to you because next to Jesus, he's the one person that understands how the human system works, okay, fully. And so he knows how to invade your life, invade your mind, destroy your hope, ruin your faith. 
He's got strategy after strategy, and there's only two or three ways in which he does it. One is intimidation. The other is disappointment and disillusionment. Yeah? When you stop believing that God is really God and he has this all worked out, who are you partnering with? By default, you only have one other choice. Amen? And if it's not God that's speaking, and it's a world that's broken in chaos speaking to you, why would you listen to that? What is it about that that you're attracted to? Let me tell you why. Because that's what you've experienced. And you think because you've experienced it, it must be therefore true. But we don't live by experiences. This is not a kingdom of feelings. Amen? We walk not by sight, but by faith. I can't live in this generation with my feelings dominating everything because my feelings, they change every two minutes. I wake up and before I get out of bed, I've had 10 feelings. And the first one is if I don't get to the toilet on time, it's going to be a bit messy. The second one is I hope James put the tea on. The feelings are like stacked up. My feelings are not sufficient to sustain me in this particular season of life. My feelings are an inferior reality, often affected by my humanity and the culture around me, and they will not sustain me in this season. That is why the devil has gone after people's minds, because if he gets your mind, he's got your life. The rise in society of mental difficulties is a phenomena that we should pay attention to Okay, because if we don't, we are all going to be subjected to those truths. They're not truths. In fact, they're lies. And the devil can only do what the devil can only do. He's got one job description, that that is to steal and to destroy. Okay, everything that God desires for us as human beings. He's always been a liar, could never stop being a liar, and will always be a liar. You can guarantee that what he's telling you is lies, even if it appears like it's true. Go to Jeremiah 17 for me, please. Now, remember, we're tracking through this process of trying to understand not only does God desire to fill the earth with his glory, but how does he do that? How does he come amongst his people and do the very thing that he desires to do? We're recognizing, too, that there are all kinds of systems in our world that have indeed disaffected us to such a point that we don't have clarity anymore about what is and what isn't real. And so consequently, we have only one place we can go. And that's back to the Word of God. What does he have to say about this moment in history? Jeremiah 17, verse 7. says, Blessed are those who... Okay. Jeremiah 17, verse 7, New Living Translation, says, blessed. Now, what does that mean? It means fulfilled, complete, abundantly living. Blessed are those. Okay? So, one thing I can say right now is it's available. <laughs> Talk to me. Come on, church. It's available. It's provided for in Jesus. Blessed are those who are led by their emotions 
who have been hijacked by worldly communications, who are in and out of truth. No. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Now, can I just keep you for a moment longer with this? Now, that word trust is not a feeling. Is it for me, Rod? It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. I don't think you can hear me. What isn't it? Okay, here's what it is. It's a perception. It's not a feeling. It's a perception. It's a perspective. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. It's a perspective. It's a perception. It's not a feeling. Why? Because our feelings change. Okay? Blessed are those who have a perspective or a viewpoint centered in, fulfilled by the reality of God. Blessed are those who've made up their mind <laughs> that Jesus is real. Blessed are those whose hearts and lives consistently defer every other reality and submit it to that truth and that permanent, eternal reality. Blessed are those who live not caught up with the winds of change and transformation in our world, but have fixed and set their hearts on the one who was and is and is to come. Blessed are those who perceive everything from the viewpoint of the fullness and the glory and the power and the authority of God. Um, shall I keep going? Yeah. Blessed are those who live with a perception of all that is possible because it has been promised. Blessed are those whose eye is keen and swift to know truth from lies and therefore fixes itself upon a position and a person who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Blessed are those who live not by sight, but by faith. Faith in the one who created the heavens and the earth. Faith in the God whose glory is so great we would be consumed if we truly saw it this side of heaven. Faith in the one who rewrote the story of humanity the day that Jesus Christ died and therefore ascended to glory. Everything depends on where you're looking. They say of an anorexic person that every time they look in the mirror, they see a fat person. What deception is that? You see, the enemy knows that if he can capture your attention, 
okay, he can destroy your potential. Paul uses this phrase, I fix my eyes on Jesus. Not because there aren't other things going on in his life. In other words, I live with blinkers on, only seeing God in his fullness, in his abundance, and in his power. So trust is not a feeling. Trust is a fact. And that fact is eternal, persistent, and consistent. And that's the reality, that God is who he says he is. And he will do what he promises he will do. So I need, I need God to help me live like that. I need God to sharpen my perception of truth to such the point that I live in the consistency of his nature and his character, not the inconsistency of my own brokenness and indeed the fractured way in which the world lives. I need to live eyeball to eyeball with the King of Glory. I need to distract myself from all of the things and give only attention to the one who is and was and is to come. And if I don't live like that, I will be tossed and tipped up and turned out and spat on by a world that thinks it has answers but has not even begun to ask the question. And the question is, is there truly a God? Now, let me ask you, do we have any Christians in this room? So you have discovered, above all other truths, this one truth. And that is that God is real. And he is more real than everything else that looks real. And he is the answer and the antidote to every question the human heart is asking. And that's why we're here. Because he wants us to live in those realities. And that's why we meet. Because he wants those realities to be consolidated in our lives through the experience we have of his presence. Now, let me give you a practical outworking of that. You can come to church, and I know this doesn't happen to you, but for the benefit of your friends who couldn't make it this morning, and you're in a bad mood. Do you ever come to church in a bad mood? Do you always leave church in a bad mood? Is that how it works for you? Okay. Sometimes stuff happens, doesn't it? You've had a crazy week, and... You know, sometimes I, I, I'm in, maybe it's just I'm the human in the room and the rest of you are holy people, but sometimes, you know, my life, I think I could just punch somebody. <laughs> Do you ever think like that? Just the other day, I passed somebody on a street corner, they were having a cigarette, and I thought, I think I'd like a cigarette. <laughs> I've never smoked in my life, never had a cigarette. I just thought, would it ease anything? Would it kind of lift anything in my life? Do you ever think I'd just have a, just one drag on a cigarette? 
I mean, it would take me three hours to stop coughing up. But I just think, do you not live like that? Stop lying. I know you do. I know you do. I know you do. We all do. And, um, and yet you're getting up every day and you're trying to live for Jesus and you're trying to do the right thing and be the right person. And uh, some days it's just, it's hard, it's hard, it's just difficult. And um, you come to church maybe and you're not in it. You know, he's droning on again. If they sing that song, Beautiful One, one more time, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to stab that worship leader with a blunt instrument. <laughs> Beautiful one. I, love. I remember one time uh, I was in a, a revival conference and uh, the A-team worship team weren't available and they put on the B-team worship team and you probably didn't even know those things existed, but these are people with less perhaps experience or ability. And the, whoever the guy was that was leading the song, it was that song, Okay, it was that song. This is how we led it. Beautiful one, I love you. Beautiful one, I adore. Beautiful one. I just thought, I don't think he's got the revelation. Whatever, whatever he thinks he's singing about. And Jane and I just started laughing. We just started laughing. It was the funniest thing. And we were with other people from the UK. It was in Canada. And they started laughing. And because this church was open to the things of the Holy Spirit, somebody came over to us and said, more, Lord, more, Lord, more. <laughs> Which made us laugh even more. Like, we, we weren't laughing for all. We were laughing for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't, it wasn't God, more, Lord. I, I, I was like torn because I was enjoying the laughter, but I didn't want to... I didn't want to be accused of any blasphemy when it came to the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. So you do what you do and you come and it's, it's like on the outside you're going through the motions. On the inside it's dead, it's, it's empty, it's weak, it's failed, it's not working. And um, in spite of your best efforts to stay in that place, because you know that you do, don't you? You know like you build a little kind of stronghold around your life. I will not. I will not, I should not, I cannot. I want God to know without any doubt just how unhappy I really am with him. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that? I'm sulking for Jesus' sake. <laughs> and and you, you, the worship starts and it's not even like it's, you know, Whitney Houston singing or anything. <laughs> but, but suddenly, in spite of your great pretenses and protests, Something just leaks into your heart. It's like a tiny little drop. And it will be a word or a phrase. I, I think everything in the kingdom comes like in those little moments. They're like tiny little specks, if you like, of light. And um, you can't stop it now. But your face starts to follow your heart. And your fists go down. And your hands go up. And you say, come, Lord. And touch me afresh. Why? Because that is a superior reality to the reality you were living in. That's a pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing reality. And this is a I protest until you know it reality. And the kingdom is always greater than the problem. It's always greater than the circumstances. always greater than whatever empire people are building. And so when it says here, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, 
It's saying, blessed are those who live with that kind of clarity that God is who he says he is and he will do what he promised he will do. Now, why does that matter to us today? Because in this room, if you were to look around you, it wouldn't look like anything exceptional was happening. We've got the same faces we came in with. We'll probably go home with them. Unless God's in the business of facelifting things. There's no heavenly Botox available. Okay? It doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like much has changed. It just looks like it's always been like this. And so what I have to do, what I have to do, this is what I do, you can do it or not, is I look beyond the natural and I take the eyes of my heart which is connected to the truth and the reality of the heavenlies and I say, God, give me sight to see what's happening that's not seen. Okay? And um, I find, <laughs> I find that when I move beyond what is naturally available into that which is always available supernaturally, I see things very differently. It's a wonderful story in the Old Testament where people were going into battle and God told them to whittle down the armies. You know the story. And then he asked the man of God, the one who was leading the charge, when he was frightened to death by the fact that there was hardly anybody left on his team, and the army that they were trying to, to fight and to win the war from had multitudes of people. He said this, lift up your head and you will see. And so we have this moment now as a community, okay? It's a moment I want to just draw your attention to. We either look at the natural and we say, well, you know, it's just this or it's just that or it's this or the other. Or we choose to take the spiritual eyes we've been given and fix them on the eternal and the supernatural. And I guarantee that if you manage to do that, okay, you will see everything differently. So I, I don't see a church of a few hundred people. Not because I haven't been to Specsavers and I can't see your faces, okay? But I have a set of lenses that God placed on me the day I became a Christian that always believes in Christ there is more. There's always more. So I can choose to live with what I have or I can align my heart and put my place, my space into the wind of heaven and say, God, show me what you see, what you know to be true about this situation. And when I do that, I see things differently. I just, I've always done this. I don't know if it's abnormal to me, but I've always done this. I've always said, God. So when we went to Glasgow, <laughs> I remember even the people in Glasgow said to us, why are you here? It's a good welcome, isn't it? You know that most people leave Glasgow to come to warmer climes, unless they've got family and connections and they wouldn't leave them. Do you know that in every street corner in Glasgow, there's sunbed shops? Yeah, because there's no sun. At first I thought, why is everybody orange? Everybody's orange in Glasgow. It's orange. They've been tangled. <laughs> and that's because there's no sun. And so um, they visit these shops to get orange, which is bizarre, but that's the truth. 
for a Glaswegian to not go on a holiday somewhere hot is like worse than life itself. Okay. So people tend not to, you know, it's not like the Caribbean where you think, I might live in the Caribbean. You know, I, I might retire to the Seychelles. There's not this, a huge migration of people moving towards that part of our geography. And people who lived there were curious as to why we came. What are you doing here? I think was the first question I was asked. I said, God has told us to come. And they mumbled something. I didn't really understand what was being said. But <laughs> okay. Amen. Whatever that, whatever that was. Amen and amen. Um, and because we aren't given to see the natural more than the supernatural as a couple, we just began to seek God. What is it you want to do? What is it we're here for? What is this about? What's the reason we're living here? And uh, the outcome was a, an awakening of the Holy Spirit where hundreds of people got saved and hundreds of people got healed. Why? Because if I just looked around me, if I just saw what was here, I wouldn't have perceived what was there. And you see, I'm not called to live here. I'm called to live there. Set your hearts or your eyes on things above. Okay? So, it's looking normal this morning, but there's an abnormal opportunity for us to pierce the normal and perceive the extraordinary. And that invitation to the consistent reality of the abundance and the fullness of God lies at your doorstep to either embrace or reject. But I, for one, I'm going after the more of God. I'm going after this. Blessed are those whose perception and perspective is founded in the fullness and the abundance and the blessing and the greatness of God. Blessed is the one who has chosen to view the world from the point of view where God is in control. Blessed is the one who's decided and made up his or her mind that God is good after all, and therefore, however difficult life can be, His goodness triumphs over my weakness every day in every which way possible. Blessed is the one whose heart is set towards... Don't clap, we haven't got time. Blessed is the one whose heart is set towards the reality of heaven, even though His feet are placed firmly here on earth. And blessed is the one whose heart is redefined consistently by a superior reality that causes everything in its wake to bow its knee. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord. And this will be their portion. For they will be like trees planted by a riverbank. In other words, they will flourish and flourish and flourish. Not through effort but because of their posture and their position before the Lord. 
Their roots will reach deep into the water. In other words, there'll be a depth to their experience and a breadth to their reality that is superior to every other subordinate thing that happens around them. You know, we want to go high, but God would like to take us deep. It says in the scriptures that deep cries out to deep, cries out to deep. You want acceleration and God wants this deep, glorious, weighty reality of his presence in your life. And you know, I believe that you can have as much of his spirit as you want. The problem is we don't always want. Such trees are not bothered by gas bills. Or the propagandas of fear in a world that's spiraling into a recession. Why? Because in their economy, there is no recession. <laughs> For he is the God of the exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could even imagine or ask for. And while their earthly experience may be teased and tossed about for occasions, they live in a permanent situation with God where he is the supplier of all their needs according to his riches in glory. They don't worry about putting the central heating on until December the 24th. That's the deadline in my house. <laughs> We're not having the heating on until December the 24th. Well, I'm praying for a heat wave at the beginning of December because I don't think I will. Uh... I mean, global warming has to have some benefits, doesn't it? Always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> it says here that their leaves do not wither, but are permanently flourishing. And I love this last part. It's from the New Living Translation. And they go right on, producing delicious fruit. So, I believe God wants to move in the same way he moved in the New Testament church. I believe it's his plan to fill the earth with his glory. Every context, every situation, from the police force to the school, from the local shop to the highest places of political influence and power in our land. I believe God wants every space so he can fill it with his presence. I believe God not only desires that, I believe God is planning for that. And I believe that God has brought us as a community to a moment where we have to decide if we're going to be part of that plan or we're not. And the thing that's stealing us from this possibility is we have believed the propaganda of the enemy who has brought to our souls a new reality of disappointment and disillusionment. And I want to ask you, is it possible that you could just drop into heavenly spec savers and get some? Is it possible that you can allow God to correct your vision? One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is where Joseph, who went through all he went through, finds that his brothers turn up at the palace looking for a handout after all they did to him. And he says 
to them. This is what I think is this kind of perspective. I call it 50-20 vision. It's Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, what you meant for evil, look. <laughs> look. Look what God did. What you meant for evil, God turned it around and used it for good. What's the turning around? It's when I stop looking at what's happening to me. And I start looking at what's available to me. Everything in this reality changes. Because there is a superior power available to me. Here on earth. That can transform even the most broken parts of me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. See the old hymn writer knew. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Why? That's real. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. They will fade in the light of his glory and grace. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can perceive it, you can have it. Stand with me, please. I just pronounce over you you're no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And God, I ask, I ask you, because only you can do this. That you would take the scales from our eyes. The scales of disappointment, disillusionment. Where our vision has been infected and affected by seasons of hardship and difficulty. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. Let my eyes behold your goodness, God. May my heart perceive your greatness, God. May my mouth declare your wonders, God. Father, open all I am to all you are because you are permanently the one truth that abides and presides over all other truths. For you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And Lord, I ask that you would steal from us that which stole our hearts from you, rob us blind, Jesus, of anything that's robbed us of destiny and clarity and perception and prophetic understanding. Take from us all those things that have taken from us. The very hope, the very joy, the very peace, the very life that you offer. <coughs> and Lord, I know no better prayer 
but than the one your servant Moses prayed. In a time of great need, he knew that he needed the reality of you, <coughs> your permanence, your power, and your presence. Above all others, that's what he needed. And he said this to you, and I say it to you, God, as a man who stands week after week in this position, longing for more, he said this, show me your glory. <clears throat> I've heard what the devil has to say. I've watched what the world has to offer. But I've tasted and seen that only the Lord is good. I have decided to follow Jesus, to give my heart away at every conceivable opportunity so that his heart can flood my reality. Heaven to earth, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And so let's for a moment wait, if you don't mind, Joseph in silence before the Lord and ask this question of him. God, is there anything in me that's hindering that reality? I give you permission to search me and to try me. For I do not want to become an obstacle to your plan to prosper and to fill and subdue all other kingdoms in this earth with your superior reality. Lord, I ask you to speak and minister to me, Lord. And I just say this over that prayer for you. Who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Just take it a moment, please. Thank you, Lord. I have this song running through my heart. It's old, like me. <clears throat> set free to worship, I'm set free. To praise Him, I'm set free. To rejoice before His throne. I'll laugh, I'll dance, I'll shout and sing hallelujah. Let my praises ring, set free. To rejoice forevermore. God, untangle us from the things that have entangled our hearts. The briars and the mires, Lord, of culture and society and the propaganda of the enemy that seeks to produce in our lives an alternative reality. We choose no longer to partner with his lies. Satan, you have been mistaken, for there are a people here who can see, a people here who know the goodness of God. And we renounce your lies. We detangle our hearts. We place the cross of Christ, plead the blood of Jesus over any ungodly mindsets that may have grown up in our lives as a result of hardships. And we pray, Lord God, you would give us your mind. Let the mind of Christ dwell richly in us, Lord, I pray, that we may know the plans you have for us, the abundant life you've provided for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.